Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. I want to share some things this morning. Uh, We're going to have some fun. I'm going to preach you happy, or I'm going to preach you angry. One or the other. I'm going to share a scripture that is I've never spoken on during my message. I've never spoken on this. It's a scripture that is particularly close to my heart and Pastor Joel's heart. And when we get to it, he'll know what what it is. And so uh, let's look to the Lord for help. Father, we just thank you for a great service. Thank you so much for the rain. Oh, God, thank you for every drop. We thank you, Lord, that we sang, let it rain. And Lord, this morning you were letting it rain. So thank you for everything that comes our way. I pray this morning that you would bring life to us through this message. And Lord, you would encourage us. And Lord, you would open our eyes and you would challenge us. And I pray, Lord, that you would minister to us. And for that reason, I ask for angelic visitation across the building, across the meeting, into every individual's hearts. I pray, Lord, we would not just hear what we know, but we would also hear what we don't know. And we would take it away and commune with you about it. We just give you praise this morning for this marvellous church, for your presence, the worship, and everything that's going to happen now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Okay, let's come to this message. I want you to, um, well, I want to start with with just my favourite statement that I've been using for over 12 months now. Um, And we've got it up there somewhere. Man does not have a sin problem. He has an identity problem. Uh, I'm, not teaching on, I'm not teaching out why that statement is so precious to me this morning, but I believe it with all my heart, that you do not have a sin problem. Jesus died for your sin. He paid the price for your sin. No one has to pay it a second time. You shouldn't be carrying it. It's not yours to carry anyway. He bought it. He bought your sin so you could go free. He paid for it with his blood, with his life, with his mission. He paid for it with everything that happened to him. And so you don't have a sin problem, neither do your neighbours, neither the other people in school or at work or in your street. They all have an identity problem. I want you to cast your mind with me back to 1959. Yeah, now how many of you can actually do that and how many of you have to imagine it? I just better find this message. 1959. Okay, uh, the, the message this morning I've entitled Report Cards and Prizes. Report Cards and Prizes. 1959 was the year I started school. Isn't that amazing? 1959. Some of you can't even imagine 1959. I started school. My mum dressed me and toddled me off to kindergarten. And I started school. And in those days, one of the memories I have is that uh, in primary school, we had, this is before the invention or just around the time of the invention of the biro pen, we actually wrote with nib pens. Nib pens are pens that you have an inkwell in the top of your desk with a little hole 
and the class monitor in the morning would come along with the bottle of ink and they would fill up each inkwell uh, around the, the room in the desk and we would have a pen. I tried to find a picture of one but I, on the internet but I, I didn't, couldn't find one. And you, you would have quite a nice long sort of thing like this and on the top was, on the, on the tip was a, was a, was a nib and the nib had a hole in it and you dip it into the inkwell and it'd fill itself up with ink and then you pull it out and you would write. We were not allowed to use biros. You could only use a pencil or one of these ink nib pens. That was the era and I just, you know, entered school and in, sort of enjoyed school. I think I enjoyed school uh, till I was in second class. So I, I had three years of relative enjoyment in school. Apologies to the teachers today. I'm, I'm going to have, I'm not going to go into school bashing. My, my own personal experience of school, uh, it's a great thing and you ought to stay in it and honour your teachers and learn as much as you can. And, uh, but I remember that school had a couple of things. It had exams. Now exams, as far as I'm concerned, are a human device intended to display my ignorance to the teacher. <laughs> That's what exams are. The other thing school had were reports. There was a six-month report and a 12-month report. And these reports are report cards. This is the teacher's device for displaying my ignorance to my mother. That's pretty much the way I understood it. I lost my report many times, <laughs> taking it home to mum. I hid it in a place. I knew she'd ask for it eventually. I tried to deflect her attention away from the day she knew it was arriving home. And we, she would read it. There would be a period of silence. Uh, sometimes that for days there would be a period. <laughs> and on the bottom of every report card uh, would be, if he only applied himself... I'm sure they're still using the same. Uh, are we doing that? No, different today? You don't say that? Everyone's a winner today? <laughs> they were, yeah. So that was my experience. It was for me in that environment and coming out of that environment a world of right and wrong, success and failure. And so achievement versus underachievement. This is the world we lived in, rewards and punishments. It was a world of report cards and prizes. The best prize I ever got, uh, I never got top of the class. Some of you get top of the class. I looked in awe at you, uh, you people, the tribe you came from. And, and I knew I would never get there, so I became good at other things. I became good at, like, athletics or sport. The best prize I ever got was an actual cricket bat, a brand new cricket bat from a, a leading company in, in that day, and I thought, this is terrific, but uh, and I got a couple of cups, I got a couple of those, you know those trophy cups uh, for athletics and things like that, just recently when we were clearing them out, I threw them in the bin, but they were, they, at a time in my life, they were important to me. How many of you have things like trophies that are in a box somewhere in a cupboard and you'll never find them again until you move? Yeah. Oh, so, sorry, the rest of you never got those. <laughs> it's all right because there's good news for you this morning. There's good news for you. 
my behaviour according to the laws of the land, the laws of expectation of others and the laws of my own expectations I placed upon myself, was to say the least ordinary. My behaviour was ordinary against those, those um, monitoring devices. And then I, my mum uh, experienced Jesus and we all went off to church and we went to church and I enjoyed church and I, but I, I went from a situation where I was working out of rewards and or achievement and underachievement and rewards and report cards and all that. I went into the church and there I found myself in a Sunday school. Sunday school is a children's church equivalent and I found myself there, and I was—I remember really quite enjoying it because Mum was in big church, and I was in the Sunday school, and my sisters were somewhere in the in the scheme of things. And I went in there, but I remember the day came, and I, honestly, I do not have a recollection of this. I don't know what happened, but I remember that Mum said to me, uh, "You can't go back to Sunday school; they won't allow you to come back." <laughs> so uh, I don't know—I I don't know what happened, but I was asked to leave Sunday school. And then I went into the big church and there was a number of years of experience in the big church. And I really enjoyed that. I was in a choir and that sort of thing. and did really well, got ribbons and I could sing and I had a voice that could do um, uh, solos and all that sort of stuff. And so I, I would sing that. You know, and <laughs> and, then, and then got to a point in, in the church life uh, where... Uh, I was in the youth group and certain things happened, and some of you know the story, I've told it before. Certain things happened and I was asked not only to leave the youth group, I was asked to leave the church. <laughs> so now I realise that the culture of, uh, of achievement or underachievement and prizes and report cards and all of that sort of thing worked in the church too because somehow I didn't work inside that system very well and it was proven to me twice that I was a, well, failure or I was unusual or the anointing in my life was too great for the house or there was something going on and, and I didn't... And, and, and I, I know over the years of pastoring here in this church, I have asked people to leave the church but I only ever, I think, I only ever ask people to leave the church if I felt that the church, the, the congregants, the sheep, were in some form of threat or jeopardy. In which case, if they were, like if I saw a guy coming into the congregation scouting for, uh, you know, girls and that sort of thing, I, well, girls, and I would look and I'd you know, have a talk and that sort of, if I felt there were predators, if I felt there was somebody coming into harm, then I've asked people to leave the church. I can't remember that I ever did that when I was in Sunday school. When I was in the youth group, of course, everyone was looking for a girlfriend or a boyfriend, so that was just normal. It can't have been that. But I ended up leaving, and I, I had now entrenched inside of me this right and wrong thing of pretty much you're an unrighteous, unwanted person. And that's all that I want to say about that. It's simply that I was... I had also already been imbibed with the thought that you can go out of church or you can go out of school, but God has given you a conscience, and that's like a teacher constantly in the back of your head telling you where you're failing. 
You know that? Your conscience. How many times does your conscience say, well done, that was awesome, you're a winner. It's usually saying, don't do that, you're wrong. (laughs) And like God was the big super teacher that kept me in line, not with a leader, but with a conscience. And so I learned that God had also given me a piece of equipment called repentance. And repentance was for me to own my badness and say I'm sorry and I'm a rotten sinner and I'm no good and I'm going to always fail. And as long as I repented, then I was somehow right with God. That was the system that I grew up in. That's a system as I understood it. It might not have been exactly what I grew up in, but that's the way I knew it and understood it. And so I carried that from school into church and from church into the world. Some of you have had that background and some of you have have that position and some of you sitting here this morning are still caught with the law of your conscience telling you you're failing and repentance not quite getting you right. And I've got good news for you this morning. I discovered a scripture in Philippians 3 verse 9 and it says this, speaking of Jesus, Paul says, and may be found in him, be found in him. I want to be lost in him. I want to be absorbed in him. I want to be resorbed into him that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. I love that scripture. Paul is saying here that there are two positions that we can adopt, one or the other. We can adopt a position of it's my effort that's going to qualify me or we can adopt a position that it was his effort that qualifies me. And I can stand in one or the other. And I have had over the years, the last, I don't know how many years, seven, ten years, I have been on a journey to disengage myself from I've got to do it in order to be accepted to he did it so that I'm always accepted. And I have had to be processing through the renewing of my mind, using the scriptures as my support to understand that no matter how good I get, I couldn't get good enough. Jesus has given us the gospel and the gospel is the good news. Jesus has taken all the exams, passed them all, and put my name on the top of the report card. Your name on the top of the report card. Jesus has actually taken every exam. It says in Hebrews that he fulfilled the entire protocol of heaven. He fulfilled all of the ceremony requirements. He fulfilled all of the law through the work of the cross. And now, because he has fulfilled it, and I am in him, I'm a winner. My name is at the top. The gospel is this message, but it's also, it's not an end in itself. The gospel is not an end in itself. The gospel is not 
an end in itself. It's a door. The, knowledge, the, the things of God, the things of God's kingdom, and the things of our future existence with God in Zion, in the kingdom of heaven, are not all contained in the scriptures. The scriptures contain the part that leads us to the door. And the door is Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said it this way once. He said, I have determined to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so some churches, some people, some believers just galvanize themselves around the story of the crucifixion the events leading up to the crucifixion and perhaps a bit beyond the crucifixion, and they say this is what the Apostle Paul was saying, that he is going to keep, uh, that, that he was going to just keep around this one fundamental message, and that message was Jesus strung out on the tree. But I can tell you that's not what Paul is saying at all. Paul is saying that he is going to keep himself and speak therefore around the Lord Jesus himself, that I should know nothing amongst you save Jesus Christ and the message of the cross, which is the ramifications of the cross, not the story of the cross. Now, we can get all sorts of marvellous meaning out of the story of the cross, and we do. When we're coming up to Easter this year, we will go to the story of the cross and we will draw out brilliant divine truth and apply it to our lives, and it'll be wonderful for us. But Paul isn't talking about the story of the cross. He's talking about the ramifications of the cross. The cross is the door. The cross is the center point of the universe and every universe that exists. It is the beginning of all creation and the end of all creation. Everything came from the cross, came out, and now is coming back to the cross. It is the centerpiece, but it is not the whole message. The gospel is what happens through the door. When we go through the door, things start to happen, marvelous things start to happen because we enter a place called the kingdom of heaven. And inside the kingdom of heaven, <laughs> you can stay at the door of your house. When you go home today, you can stay at the door and you can set up a chair and you can have your meals brought to you at the door and you can say, I'm at the door because this is my house and it's the most important part because it's the way in and I'm going to stay here and welcome anybody that wants to come into my house. But if somebody comes and knocks at the door or comes to you sitting at the door and says, I want to go in and, and, and make myself a meal in your kitchen, but you stay at the door, how are you going to take them? So, how about this scripture? This is an interesting, marvellous scripture. Revelation, you don't have it up on the screen. I'll just read it to you. You can look at it if you like. Revelation 22, 14 and 15. Listen to this. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in or enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I knew Pastor Joel would get a laugh out of that. This scripture, this scripture is interesting because we got a picture of people inside the city and people outside the city. Now, who are outside the city? Dogs, <laughs> sorcerers, immoral people, liars. Yeah. Tell me, do you think they're not in the city because they're dogs or sorcerers or immoral people or liars? Because such were some of you. Turn to the person next to you and say, woof. <laughs> Here... You don't get into the city because you're not a dog or you're not a liar. You, do, you don't get into the city because you haven't practiced sorcery. Who gets into the city according to that scripture? Those who have washed their robes. Teach a dog to wash its robes, it's getting in. It's what it says. <laughs> it wasn't God chose some not to be... You know, cats get in, but dogs stay out. Those who wash their robes get in. Blessed are those who wash their robes and get in. Who are, they, who are the dogs and sorcerers and immoral people and liars outside? They're people who won't, for some reason, wash their robes. Do you think you're in the city because of your righteousness? You think because you're a slightly better person? Because you didn't do what you heard someone else did and that's, that was a horrible thing? But you qualify somehow? That's why I read the scripture. Paul says, I'm not trusting on anything that is my righteousness. I'm going to be found in him because he fulfilled it all. You know what? I don't know who dogs are, but dogs get in if they're in Christ. That was all right, wasn't it, Pastor John? <laughs> you see, we share the gospel. We share the way. Everyone say way. Way. It's a very important word this morning, way. We share the way. Jesus is the way. He said he was the way. He's the door. Acts 9, verses 1 and 2. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The way. That's what the early church was called. That's what the early believers were called. The way. Why were they called the way? capital W. Why were they called the way? Because they were not just believing in the way, they were demonstrating the way. They were living the way. We are called not just to believe it, we're called to demonstrate it, and by demonstrating it, we have to model it and so you and I need to be going through the door of the gospel and everything that Jesus has accomplished into what lies beyond the door. Now, most of you thought I was kidding when I told you that my winged chair has been to heaven, but I had angels lift it up and take it into Zion one morning. I was on it. 
Now, did it physically go into heaven? I don't know, but I saw me on the chair and angels lifting it up, and we were going through whatever it is out there at an incredible rate, and that chair, which is going to belong in one of your hands, just be careful of the be careful sitting in it. <laughs> that chair has taken me to places beyond the door. See, as disciples, we don't just talk about the way. We need to demonstrate it. See, we are saved to go many places and enjoy many things. Romans 8 verse 2 says this, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Oh, listen, my, listen, my, my brothers and sisters, my friends, my co-humans, my fellow aliens... Please come with me out of the law, under the law of sin and death, and come into the law of life in Christ Jesus. You are not a sinner. Your DNA does not go back to Adam. It goes back to Christ Jesus. Because when you believed, you became a new creation. A new creation. Old things have gone disappear. You, don't, you can't keep the old things in your rucksack saying that's my identity. Do you think in heaven you're going to be Australian? You're not going to be Australian. You're not going to be from New South Wales. There's no state of, if there is a state of origin in heaven, everyone's on the same team. When you pull out your heavenly identity, your passport, when you pull out your passport and you show your picture, whose picture is it? It's not yours. It's Jesus. How do I know that? Because you died and your life is now hidden in him. The only way into heaven is to show Jesus on the passport. Now you can have a picture of a dog and you can live outside the city gate. But if you want a picture that will get you through the gate, it's Jesus because you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is the gospel. You're not a sinner. You don't have a sin problem. We are all struggling with an identity issue. Now, the gospel is about life. We've saw, we saw it's the way. It's about life, God's life and our life. And Jesus stated that he is life in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you want to go to heaven and you want to see God and you want to be with God, get in Jesus. Get in him. Whoop. Get in him. Get in him. When I've spent hours and hours and hours in that blue wing chair, simply saying to him, I am in you and you are in me. Until the reality of that starts to sink into my understanding. That I can't get him out and he can't get me out. I'm in him. I'm part of him. You're part of him. You're in him. You can't get out of him. He can't get out of you. You're stuck together, infused into the very Godhead through Christ Jesus. And where we are seated this morning is not on the earth. 
If you're doing spiritual warfare on the earth against demonic power, you, sh- you should ask yourself this question. Why aren't I seated in Christ in heavenly places? Why has the enemy duped me into coming down into the valley with Goliath to throw some stones? Get back up. Get back up. Who are you? I have determined not to know any of you anymore after the flesh, as we did Christ, but no longer. You are an amazing individual that has been saved by the living God through his son, Jesus Christ, and you are not human. That's what Justin Abraham entitled his book, No Longer Human or Not Human. You are not human. You are inside the divine life of Jesus. See, see, you don't have to take this on board. You can live like just about every other human out here and have a good time, have a life, you know, enjoy yourself, do whatever. That's okay. But for those of you that want to live beyond that and go through the door and have his name on your report card and get the prizes that come from entering into the kingdom of heaven and living out of the reality of it and get to go on marvellous trips like to the New Jerusalem, to Zion, and experience angelic visitation and fly and go all sorts of places and be taken to other nations in your prayer time. For those of you that want that experience, this message is for you. I know some of you understand this and you already know this. I'm just encouraging you to continue to believe because this world won't give you this sort of message. For those of you that's brand new, I told you I'm either going to preach you happy or angry, but one way or another you walk out of here with something to think about and it hasn't finished yet because I've got... Whoa. Uh, I won't won't even use all of that. Colossians chapter 1 One of my favorites, you know this. Colossians chapter 1, 25 says this, Of this church I was made a minister. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. According to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Okay, now just stop there for a minute. That he says, I will fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. And he's about to tell us what the word of God is. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been made manifest to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Woo! That is worth a dance. That is worth a jig. This is the mystery. Christ in us. That's the gospel. This is the mystery of the gospel. This is what Paul preached. This is what he was commissioned to preach. That Christ is in you. All right. Just finish that scripture. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, 
so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose I also labour, striving according to his power, which so mightily works within me. Now listen to this in the mirror. You haven't got it on the screen, so listen to it. Same verse, same verses. Colossians 1, 25. I am an ambassador in God's economy. My mission is to make his word known to you with utmost clarity. The element of prophetic mystery was concealed for ages and generations, but is now fully realized in our redeemed innocence. In us, God desires to exhibit the priceless treasure of Christ's indwelling. The, in God, in us, God desires to exhibit the priceless treasure of Christ's indwelling. Every nation will recognize him as in a mirror. Now that takes, that takes away us and them. The Arab nations this morning are going to recognize that Christ is in them. Sorry, that's, that's what the Bible says. I'm going to step over here because you're looking at, as though that was what I said. And you're looking a bit annoyed. Keep going. No rocks yet. The unveiling of Christ in human life, the unveiling of Christ in human life completes every man's expectation. He is not hiding in history, nor in outer space, nor in the future, neither in the pages of Scripture. He is merely mirrored there to be unveiled within you. This is the essence and focus of our message. We awaken every man's mind, instructing every individual by bringing them into full understanding, flawless clarity, in order that we might, uh, might prove or present everyone perfect in Christ. Your completeness in Christ is not a remote goal, but your immediate, immediate reference your completeness in Christ is not a remote goal, but a, your immediate reference, you are complete in him right now. My labour now exceeds any zeal I previously knew under the duty-driven law of willpower. I am labouring beyond the point of exhaustion, striving with intense resolve with all the energy that he mightily inspires within me. The Apostle Paul is on a different wavelength. He's operating out of a power that is not earthly. He's ministering out of a frequency that does not resonate with human understanding. That's why it has to be revealed. The Apostle Paul is saying it's not just apostles like him that get this message and have the indwelling Christ. He says it's for you. And not only does he say it's for you as a believer, he says it's for everybody who is on the planet, who hasn't yet realised it. Again, it takes away us and them. Everybody in the Shoalhaven this morning has Christ dwelling in them. That is what the scripture just said. Just let that sort of sink in a bit. This is the, this is the, the mystery of the gospel. The Greek word is mysterion. It means to shut the mouth. So what Paul is saying is that God shut his mouth on this. He kept it hidden because God didn't speak it into understanding until it was given to Paul. 
It wasn't given to the prophets. It wasn't given to the patriarchs. They sensed it. They looked towards it. They enjoyed the revelation of it. David himself was extremely prophetic, but none of them had heard it from God because God shut his mouth on it. It was a mystery until it was revealed to Paul and then in Paul's day to us all. The mystery which was hidden from the prophets, Paul worked himself almost to exhaustion delivering it. The mystery which God supernaturally drove him to deliver is the gospel we all now cherish. And it's this, that Christ Jesus is already at work within each one of us. And that he literally is already infused inside everyone you know. And the mystery is the Christ in us. The mystery is this, Christ in us, the hope of glory. That changes the evangelism approach. Because every person you go and share the gospel with, the gospel is no longer, do you want to receive Christ? Mm-mm. They've already received him. He's in each one of them. The indwelling, infilling Christ is resident from the foundation of the world inside everyone. Now, I know this blows our our theology at least. If it doesn't blow it off the path and into the weeds, it at least puts a pretty strong headwind against it. And it has mine. But I must preach the gospel the way I understand it now. Even if people say, well, you used to preach. I'll say, I know, I've changed. And the reason I've changed is because any mindset that differs from this revelation is still drawing on the previous beliefs of prophets and priests that believed their best, uh, believe, that believed their best up until this mystery was revealed through the life and work of Jesus. Paul was given this mystery to unpack and deliver, and it's a game changer. So why does Paul call it a mystery? Because its, re- it, its reality was hidden to human hearts until pr- the precise moment the Father chose to unpack it. The Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Now, I'll give you the scripture for that, 2 Corinthians 5. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So the Father, Paul says was in Christ, not counting our trespasses against us. So who is counting our trespasses against us? It's not God. It's us. We are the ones that are holding ourselves under a theology or a, or a doctrine that we are somehow stained substandard, flawed, unaccepted. We have been taught it. It has been modelled in our society. It's been modelled inside the church. 
But it's time to change. Everyone's got a right to change. Everyone's got a right to grow and develop and move forward. No matter what we have done. I've been a teacher for 35 years from platforms like this. And I'm telling you, a lot of the stuff I taught, I now consider not the gospel. So I'm trying to sort of bring a few people. I've spoken to thousands of people in this room. I wish I'd been teaching this. But God is changing me, he's changing you. Let's give ourselves space. So if the Father was in Christ, this is a good one, if the Father was in Christ reconciling the world, the Father was in Christ reconciling the world, and Christ is in us, is that right? So the Father and Christ are in us, according to the mystery Paul preaches, where's the Father? And where are you? The Father's in us. Jesus is in us. We're in him. So why do we continue to teach and write songs and sing songs that promote separation? I'm just, I'm not, I'm not even going anywhere. I've just told you I've done 35 years of teaching and, and a lot of it's been wrong. This position needs to be adjusted. But let's stop calling for God to come and let's, not, and let's stop singing about how he's going to do something and recognise he's already come, he's already in, we're already in, he's already done it. Let's stop saying 2020 is going to be the year where, the, where, where God comes over the hill with revival. Now, I only speak one message and I'll be gone. So you can forget about this as quickly as you want to. But I no longer ever believe or teach or speak about revival that's coming. Revival came. Revival's trying to get out. And it's trying to get out of inside of me. I was asking the Lord yesterday. I said, God, I don't want to get up there and speak a sermon. I, I'm, I'm tired. I've done thousands of them. I don't want to get up and speak a sermon. If, they, if you don't give them something... It's better that someone else takes the platform because I just, I just don't want to do it anymore. But no one else did. And I woke up this morning and I was on the earth, not in heaven. So here I am. No distance, no gap. I tell you what, it's hard to see the screen through these lights and it's hard to see the clock. Oh, I'm going to go for one more minute. And then we're going to finish off with the icing on the cake. All right, ready? No distance, no gap, no separation. God is with you. God is in you. You are in God. God is with you. You can't, you can't call him in. You can't say, oh, God is away from me. I'm in a wilderness. God is never. Paul said, if I go to his Sheol, he's there. If I go into the depths of the sea, he's there. If I go to heavens, he's there. God is, God can't, you cannot get away from him. He's like one of those flies that is always going at you. We, we, had, we came back, we were down at Naruma with, with some, of the, some of the people here. We're down at Naruma and we realised we had to get out two days after New Year's. And so we, we did the trek. It took us two days to get home with Pastor Benaya's fur baby. It took us two days, to, that's his dog, it took us two days to get home. And we had to, it took us six or six and a half hours to get from Naruma 
to Kuma, we had to stay the night, then another six hours to come back via Queen Bee and Moss, Moss Vale, Kangaroo Valley and whatever. It was a long, long, long trip. And during that trip, we had to get out of the car a couple of times, out the back of nowhere, uh, and the flies, the flies, how people, farmers are not just courageous because of the drought, they're courageous because of the flies, <laughs> the flies. And they're sticky flies. They're not ones you can brush, they just, they're always on you. God is worse than that. <laughs> oh, dear. Listen, that'll do. There was more, but don't worry about it. This is the thing. This is the thing. We are part of the way. We are the way. We need to be living the way, demonstrating the way. We need to be on the way. We need to be going into, going beyond the message of the cross. And I want to finish this morning before I hand it back to Pastor Joel, uh, and I want to finish with a, with a song by one of the greatest Christian uh, groups in the last number of decades singing a song that is so evangelistic and so kingdom orientated. So if we can just play that, and you are allowed to either sing along with it if you know it, or you are allowed to dance. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.